Welcome to Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Guardians Radio Network. Guardians Weekly is brought to you by Progressive, helping Guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance. everyone, welcome to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse along with you from City Field in New York, where the Guardians are taking on the New York Mets this weekend in a three-game series, and it will be a little bit different schedule than had planned for the two teams as uh, the game on Saturday has been postponed due to rain and wet grounds. It was scheduled for a 4-10 first pitch, but now the teams will make it up as part of a split doubleheader on Sunday with a 140 first pitch for Game 1 and a 710 first pitch for Game 2. Coming up in a little bit on this week's show, we will hear from outfielder Stephen Kwan, also Brian Rocchio, the young infielder who made his major league debut earlier this week. And we also had a chance to catch up with on Friday Francisco Lindor, the first time that Lindor is facing the team that drafted, developed him, and made him a star, really, and uh, certainly he fit right in to those great teams that the the Cleveland had during the uh, 2014, 15, 16 seasons, uh, 16, the World Series year. Lindor is such a big part of that, and we'll hear from him as uh, before the game on Friday night, he had a chance to talk about some of his memories as a Cleveland Indian, and uh, we'll hear that in the second part of our show. But first, our week in review. And after an off day on Monday coming out of A tremendously exciting home weekend series in which the Guardians took two out of three from the Angels. They really struggled in the first two games in Chicago against the White Sox, with Chicago winning 8-3 on Tuesday night and backing that up with a 7-2 win on Wednesday night. So the Guardians were looking to salvage the finale of the series on Thursday afternoon in Chicago. They had Logan Allen on the mound, and the rookie cruised through the first inning but found himself in a big-time jam in the second as the White Sox loaded the bases with nobody out. Outfield medium deep straight away. The next delivery. A check swing and a fastball for strike three. Got him looking, no doubt about it. Heck of a job by the young man, and that's, again, the beauty of Logan Allen and Tanner Bybee. Not only are they as competitive as all get out, their poise is remarkable. Bases loaded, nobody out. Sox don't score. We are still scoreless after two. And then in the third, Allen got a pick-me-up from his catcher, Cam Gallagher. Runner goes, pitches high. Gallagher, good throw to second, and the tag made by Jimenez on the headfirst sliding Tim Anderson. That's as good a throw as you can ever make. Just an absolute perfect throw by Cam Gallagher to get a tough customer. Tim Anderson thrown out for the first time this year. He had been six for six, and that is huge. The White Sox picked up a run in the fourth to take the lead, but in the fifth, Gabriel Arias got that run right back. Here's the pitch from Cease. 
And it's swung on and driven high in the air to deep right center. Way back there. Home run, Arias. Tie game at one. Gabriel Arias, second time this season, has gone deep. And it's the Guardians one, the White Sox one. And in the seventh, the Guardians got some help from the White Sox defense with Brian Rocchio, the batter. First at bat today with a runner in scoring position. Rocchio tampered a short. Coming home with it would have been Anderson, but he boots the ball. It gets by him. And he'll pick it up on the dirt portion of the infield. And that error allows Brennan to score. Arias to go to third. And Rocchio's aboard at first. And the Guardians up 2-1. to one. Later on in that inning, Cam Gallagher's big afternoon continued. Runner goes, pitch, smashed into left. There's a base hit for Gallagher. That'll score Arias. Rocchio stops at second. What a day for Cam Gallagher as he puts Cleveland on top 3-1. to one. He was down in the count 0-2, battled back, and got a mammoth RBI single to left. And for Gallagher, that breaks an 0-34 skid. That is the first base hit this month for a Cleveland catcher. Cam Gallagher's base hit is third of the year, and it gives him three RBIs. Out of that Guardians bullpen, Nick Sandlin and Trevor Steffen each threw a scoreless inning, and then Emmanuel Classe was on in the ninth inning to try and finish things up. Now the 0-2. Swing and a miss. Ball game. And Classe finishes it with a strikeout. And the Guardians get the finale here in Chicago by a final score of 3-1. to one. So a nice win to finish up the series in Chicago. And then it was on to New York to take on the Mets in interleague play. A three-game series starting on Friday night. The Guardians didn't waste any time greeting their former teammate, Carlos Carrasco, who was on the mound for the Mets. As in that first inning, there were two men on for Josh Naylor. Now the 3-1. Swung on and blasted. Deep right field. Gone. And a three-run homer for Josh Naylor. Well, Carrasco got behind in the count. And Naylor pounced. Then in the second inning, they added to the lead with Cam Gallagher continuing a sudden hot stretch at the plate. The pitch. Swung on, and this is line to left. Coming on, Canna. It drops for a base hit. In to score a straw, and it's a 4-0 Cleveland lead. How about Cam Gallagher? Back-to-back -back days with RBI singles. In the fifth, the Guardians were looking for more with Will Brennan on second base with two outs, and Ahmed Rosario stepped in to face his former club. One and two the count. Here's the pitch to Rosario. Swung on, line drive, left field. That'll get down for a base hit. Brennan will score. Rosario's aboard with an RBI single. And the Guardians now lead 5-0. There it is, the, the staple of the offense a year ago, the two-out base hit that brought in a run. But on this night, the Mets would battle back. They got into it with uh, two runs in the fifth inning, another in the sixth. That cut the Guardians' lead to 5-3. But in the seventh, some clutch two-out hitting from Naylor gave the Guardians some breathing room. Here's the 2-1 delivery. Swung on, line drive, base in and to left. That'll score Gallagher. Quan around third. Here's Canis throw to the plate. Not in time. Sliding in with another run is Quan. And what a night for Josh Naylor. A two-out, two-run single to left. He has five RBIs, and the Guardians lead it 7-3. to three. 
However, the lead was short-lived as in the bottom of the seventh, the Mets loaded the bases and Pete Alonzo stepped to the plate. Boy, is he in a hitter's count now with the bases loaded? Three balls and a strike. The pitch hit in the air, fairly deep right. Brennan to the wall, it's gone. A game-tying grand slam to right center by Pete Alonzo. Well, he got into a hitter's count, and he didn't miss a 94-mile-an-hour fastball. And Karinczak has given up his sixth home run of the year. It stayed tied through nine, and on to extra innings the game went in the 10th. Jose Ramirez started the inning as the runner at second base, and with one out, Gabriel Arias stepped in. The 1-0. Swung on, hit pretty well to right. Back goes Marte on the track of the wall. Gone! How about that? Second day in a row for Gabriel Arias. A two-run home run the opposite way to right. And Cleveland's back on top. Nine to seven here in the 10th inning. A line drive off the bat of Arias. So the Guardians had a 9-7 lead heading to the bottom half of the 10th inning. Emmanuel Classe came on to try and nail down a save, but the Mets picked up two runs to tie it, and they had a runner in scoring position for Francisco Lindor. Isn't this something? The first time since that mammoth trade that saw Francisco Lindor go to the Mets for four players, including Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez. This is the first time the teams have met since that trade. And who's at the plate in a 9-9 game in the 10th but Frankie Lindor. Runner takes off. He lines one to right center. Game-winning single. And the Mets have done it again. And Lindor to be mobbed at first on a game-winning RBI single to right center. And the Mets with three here in the 10th inning stunned the Cleveland Guardians and just a shocking defeat as Klaus A gives up three here in the 10th inning and the Mets are a winner tonight in 10 innings they do it in walk-off fashion after there were two men out and they beat Cleveland 10 to 9. And a, a fitting end to a gut-wrenching night for Cleveland as they played extremely well, put up a ton of runs, which have been a rarity this season, but it did not hold up as it was a rough night for the bullpen. Some key relievers just unable to finish things up, and it's the Mets who come up with the 10-9 win on Friday night. Stay with us. When we come back, we'll hear from outfielder Stephen Kwan and rookie infielder Brian Rocchio. That's next as we continue with Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Don't go away, folks. Four! I wish I was a better golfer. Four is an odd word to yell. Whoa, where'd you come from? It's me, Flo, and I'm here to grant your wish of Progressive taking $50 off your deductibles. Just choose the deductible savings bank feature and finish a policy period without filing a claim or having a driving violation. Great, but um, what about my golf swing? Oh, I just do insurance. Sorry. Sign up for Progressive and opt into more savings. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Safe driver discount not available in all states or situations.
Laquan swings and sacks one up the alley in right center. That's a base hit. Over to cut it off in the alley is Rodriguez and Quan with a leadoff single. Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from City Field in Queens, New York. The Guardians taking on the Mets this weekend in interleague play. Earlier in the week, we had a chance to visit with outfielder Stephen Kwan, who's had a, a solid season out of that leadoff spot for the Guardians. Remember last year, what an impressive start to his year as he was the American League's Rookie of the Month. He hasn't been that hot out of the chute, but uh, most of the, the significant numbers looking good. His on-base percentage up over 350, and he's certainly doing a nice job setting the table. And uh, he had a good weekend last weekend against the Angels at Progressive Field. And we talked to him about some of the signs that point to the offense heating up. Yeah, absolutely, especially after that Angel series. I think we had a lot of guys kind of get hot. Obviously, Josh had that crazy uh, little run, and then guys were picking up after him. Uh, I think hitting's contagious in all aspects of that. So, yeah, it's good to see the boys going. I thought it was interesting. His first comments after the big home runs was that it's not possible unless you're getting on and the people ahead of him are getting on and that it really is a team thing. And is that maybe the – the disclaimer about baseball that it is not such an individual sport but offensively it has to be a team thing yeah absolutely um take it even a step further um i think that inning couldn't have started without wills at bat before me i mean he had like a nine pitch at bat against a guy who had shut us out the inning before so i mean i'm usually not a guy who swings first pitch a lot of the time and after wills battling that nine ten pitch at bat i felt comfortable swinging at that first pitch so because of his long ab i was able to get on and obviously that whole inning happened afterwards so yeah 100 percent agree it, it takes it takes everybody on board Last year was such a whirlwind for you from the get-go. Uh, what's been different this year that, that maybe has been challenging and, and maybe real satisfying now that you're, you're on a pretty good roll again? Yeah, I think things are a little more, I was telling you, stable. I think it's really cool kind of seeing this, the clubbies again, kind of saying what's up, good to see you again. Um, I know where everything's at, I know where the weight room's at. I'm not losing 15 minutes just looking for the, the weight room and all that. Um, yeah, things feel a lot more, more comfortable this year. Steven, so you, you look at, at how things are going, not only for you personally, but the team. And it seems like a lot of the numbers are similar one loss-wise to, to where you were a year ago, maybe a different way to get there. But feeling-wise, did it really hit home this weekend when you had some come-from-behind wins that were so common a year ago? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've been all we've been in all these games, kind of, I feel like we, we hit a little better seventh inning on. Um, but to finally have them come through, have the guys actually score when they're in scoring position, um, have the clutch hits. I think that's really big. But I feel like we've been putting ourselves in that situation a lot of times. It just happened to pan out these this last weekend. Well, Steven, have a good week. Thank you. Thanks, Rose. Appreciate you. That's outfielder Steven Kwan talking about uh, not only his season, but what he's seeing from the ball club as uh, we get deeper into the month of May. Another young player on this Guardians ball club was uh, infielder Brian Rocchio, who has since been sent back to the minor leagues, but he was called up to fill Jose Ramirez's roster spot while the team was in Chicago. And he came off the bench on Tuesday night and recorded his first major league hit. And when we caught up with him with translation help from Augie Rivero, he talked about that feeling of reaching base in the big leagues for the first time. Algo increíble, una emoción. Este, que se vio nada más una sola vez en la vida, de verdad que incredible. It's such a unique uh, energy because you know you can only enjoy that once in your life. But I feel that that was a mixture of you know nervousness, but also enjoying the moment of you know being a major leaguer. And you don't start the game, but you're out in the on deck circle, knowing that you're going to, to come on as a pinch hitter. Uh, what is it like waiting for that at back to take place? How difficult was that? 
No, desde que llegué al, 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 al dogado, este, me senté y... Yeah, I mean, I know I was in the lineup, but as soon as I got to the dogout, I prepared myself mentally knowing that I would be able to help the team at some point during the game. So when that happened, obviously I was mentally prepared for that. It was a little bit of nerves going on, you know, maybe enjoying the situation, but I knew I was ready to, to play and try to help the team. And your time in Major League Camp, uh, how much did that help you? Bastante. Aproveché bastante el tiempo en sprint training. I feel like it helped me a lot, you know, seeing the the level of effort that Ramirez, that Rosario, that Jimenez put in. I think that's a big thing to learn, like the level of effort they put to the game, but most importantly, the what I keep putting in practice this year is just the level of effort to to do my best on the baseball field. Brian Rocchio joining us, translation help from Augie Rivero. And Brian, uh, you're from Venezuela, some some really good shortstops there. Uh, growing up as a kid, as Drupal Cabrera was one of your favorites. How come? I think it's just the, the how smooth he was on the field, you know, being shortstop and, and being able to make those different plays with the glove, then with the hand. And as a kid, that's what kind of like attracts you, you know, how easy he made everything look, like barehanded plays and, and bare with the hand. So I think for me, those are the things that attract me to, to admire him as a player. Uh, Brian, uh, congratulations on the first major league hit. You're in there tonight starting it short. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Augie, thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. That's infielder Brian Rocchio, who again is back down at AAA Columbus, but you get the feeling that we'll see him again, uh, certainly at some point this season, as he's very highly regarded, having a good season at AAA, and gave a good account of himself during his time in the big leagues earlier this week. Stay with us. When we come back, we'll visit with a former Cleveland player, certainly someone who had a, a big role in some great years for Cleveland. 2016-17, you know the deal with uh, Francisco Lindor, one of the top young players in the game, while he wore a Cleveland uniform. Now with the Mets, and he faced his old team for the first time on Friday night. We'll talk to him about it when we come back after this on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Stay tuned, folks. This puppy isn't over. Jim Rosenhouse back with you. It's Guardians Weekly. We're at City Field in Queens, New York, where the Guardians are taking on the Mets this weekend. And that means for the first time since a January 2021 trade that sent Francisco Lindor from Cleveland to New York, the Guardians face Lindor on the field. And we had a chance to catch up with Francisco in the uh, Mets clubhouse before the ball game on Friday night, the first time that he would face his old team. And he talked about how much he's been looking forward to seeing some familiar faces. I'm looking forward to it a lot. They they have been close to my heart for a long time, ever since 2011. A lot of the, the coaches that I came with, they were, they're still there, and some of the players are there. So um, I'm, just, I'm just happy to see some familiar faces, and um, I'm happy to play against them. You look back at your time in Cleveland. Obviously, you, you grew up not only as a, a baseball player but as a person. How much do you look back on that time as happy memories for you? A lot, a lot. The Cleveland organization showed me how to be um, a professional. And um, the people of Cleveland, um, the fans, showed me how to be more caring and more passionate and be more, more... Um, in tune with fans you know that my little routine of signing an autograph almost every day um, comes from there uh, acknowledging the the fact that they 
show love and support me. You know, I had to do the same back. Memorable moments, the home run in Puerto Rico, the home run off the foul pole in the postseason against New York, uh, the base hit that kept the streak alive against Kansas City. Any, any of those uh, go right to the top of the list or maybe one that, that doesn't readily come to mind for you? I think my favorite one was recording the last out to go into the World Series. I didn't make the last out. I know Santana did. But just that celebration, that, that fulfillment of like, yes, we did the undoable. And then celebrating the clubhouse in Toronto, the, that to me, that's, you know, yeah, it's great when you have athletes and you do stuff and you help the team win, but whenever you you finally put it together and you all celebrate at the same time, and that's what matters to me. You had so many good memories in Cleveland, and I know here initially there were some challenges. How have you managed to, to get back to, to being Francisco Lindor again here after the start? Smile. Smile my way through life and walk the line, you know, fight the fight day in and day out. You know, understanding that people want results and they expect players to succeed. And, and that's once I understood that, that they want the, the, the results of being success, successful. Um, and that when they, when they cheer you on, they're cheering on the moment, what's happening in the moment. When they um, let you know and they show the frustration, they're showing it towards what's happening in the moment, you know. A lot of times it's not because who you are, it's because what's happening in the moment. No one better than you right now to give us a scouting report on a team we haven't seen in a long time, the New York Mets. Um, what's What's been the challenges early on and, and what has them going pretty good this week? Um, the challenges at the beginning were that we weren't putting them together at the same time. You know, when, when we... We play good offense, but whenever we hit, we couldn't we couldn't hold them to a couple of runs. And then whenever they, you know, they only allowed one run, we wouldn't score. Um, so that was the challenge. We weren't doing it at the same time. We have a great group of guys here, guys that are very hardworking, guys that give us all day in and day out. And now we, you know, we're starting to move forward. Francisco, good to see you again. Thanks a lot for the time. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you. Nice to catch up with Francisco Lindor, and uh, obviously not easy, I'm sure, to see him win the ball game with a base hit on Friday night, but uh, a young man who meant a lot to this franchise for uh, during some great years, uh, not only for him early in his career, but for the franchise as a whole, especially back in that 2016 season when the Guardians, or the Indians at that time, went to the World Series. Stay with us. We'll have our final segment of Guardians Weekly when we return after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Whoever just hit those brakes hard for no reason was definitely not you. Eric never breaks randomly on the highway, Rubino, because you are a safe driver. And like most drivers who sign up for Snapshot from Progressive, which customizes your rate for how and how much you drive, you could earn a discount for your good driving. So keep on being you. Eric never breaks randomly on the highway, Rubino, and we'll keep on delivering the discounts. Sign up for Snapshot today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in all states or from all agents. Jim Rosenhouse back with you. It's Guardians Weekly. We're in New York at City Field where the Guardians are taking on the Mets this weekend. Every now and again, we check in with Guardian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio. He always catches up with some uh, folks who are a big part of this game, and we 
do the same thing again today. It's Bobby D at the ballpark. The perfectly manicured feel, the unmistakable aroma of a ballpark hot dog, and the electricity celebrating another victory. This is At the Ballpark with Bobby D. The ballpark is home to many stories, many memorable moments, and colorful personalities. Joining me on this segment of At the Ballpark is one of the most talented pitchers to come off the Cleveland Sandlots. One of our very own, a Brush High School and Kent State star, Mr. Steve Stone. Steve, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. It's always special for me to come back to Cleveland. I get to see uh, some of my family that is still here. It's kind of nice. I get to go to a couple delis that I frequented when I was a youngster. And just going back in the old neighborhood, uh, taking a trip down memory lane is always something that I enjoy. We need to start with your time growing up in South Euclid. Played for Coach Jim Humple at Brush High School at a time when the Lake Erie League was the premier athletic conference in all of northern Ohio. Uh, Freddie Heinlein at Shaker Heights. Uh, my older brother was uh, Danny was a sophomore when you were a senior at Brush. I don't know if you pitched against Lakewood uh, your senior year, but my brother probably was there watching you perform back in those days as you were a 65 grad at Brush High School. What do you remember about those days in the LEL? I remember that was some really good baseball. Euclid was always a good team. In fact, we had a guy at uh, Kent State by the name of Tom L. Jancic who pitched for Euclid. He was very good. There was a guy at Lakewood. I think he eventually got to St. Ed's. Gary Zanheiser was his name, another guy who threw really well. We had a lot of talent here. Buddy Schultz threw uh, at Shaw, and he went on to pitch in the major leagues. So we had some guys that threw it very well. We had some guys who could hit it very well. Shaker won the state championship in 1965, and uh, we came close, but uh, there was no cigar, as they say. I just remember good, solid baseball. I also remember that because of the time it was played, and it was played in the early spring, uh, I think we had 24 games scheduled. I think 18 of those games were played with the temperatures right around 40 or under. <laughs> it was usually wet. You had to be a mutter to be able to, to run through the muck and the mire to actually get it done. But that was what it was like in Cleveland those days. And it really helped me actually to prepare myself for the times when I was in Candlestick Park, my first team that being the San Francisco Giants. I remember those cold days at Candlestick Park, and I remember back to what it was like in Cleveland those cold days. Steve, we have to talk about your remarkable season with the Baltimore Orioles in 1980, 25 wins to seven losses, the 25 wins topping all of the major leagues. You are an all-star, an eventual Cy Young Award winner. What do you remember most about that season? Well, as I look back, Bobby, it, it seems like it happened to somebody else. <laughs> but what I remember most is uh, that I made a transition that without that, I wouldn't have been able to accomplish that. It was the middle of 1979. I was under 500. I was with a very good team finally in Baltimore. We were on our way to winning 102 games and playing in the World Series. And I sat back over the All-Star break and decided that there was a better pitcher in here, I suspected. I just didn't know how to get him out. And so I felt that I wasn't going to get any bigger, any stronger, or any faster. What I had to do was find a way to be better prepared on a daily basis than my opponent. And I knew I was going to face guys who were going to go to the Hall of Fame. And 
I adopted a, a philosophy that you're going to go to the Hall of Fame, but not tonight. Tonight is my night. And then I, through a series of things like imagery, creative visualization, self-hypnosis, and a number of other things, I devised a way to get the most out of me on a daily basis because there's times when you just don't feel good. Sandy Koufax, one of the greatest pitchers in the history of our game, said he had his best stuff 25% of the time, which meant 75% of the time he had to win with less than his best. He was one of the greats. So for just average guys like myself, maybe we had our best stuff 15% of the time, maybe 10%. So we had to learn how to win with less than our best. For me, it was getting myself better prepared for a performance than my opponent. I didn't have any control over the size, the strength, or the ability factor of the guy that I was facing. But I did know one thing. I could not allow him to outwork me. I could not allow him to outprepare me. I could not allow him to want it more than I did and be willing to sacrifice everything for that particular event. And so knowing each and every night that I was going to go in better prepared than the guy I was facing allowed me to make 50 5-0 starts from the middle of 1979 to the end of 1980. And I lost seven times in 50 starts. Now, my arm kind of gave way after that, but I had a moment. I had an 18-month window. I had a season and a half of enchanted baseball. And the thing that I never lost sight of, Bobby, was I wasn't great. I was just borrowing greatness. In a short period of time, they were going to come and take it back. Well, 37 starts in that 1980 season, over 250 innings pitched. But when you talk about visualization, and not many guys, I'm sure, were talking about those kind of things, the, the hypnosis and the visualization. That had to be pretty revolutionary at that time. Well, I went into Roland Heeman starting 1977. Now, bear in mind, I didn't really implement this till 79, but in 1977, I went into Roland Heeman, GM of the White Sox, and I said, Roland, why does every team have five coaches for the physical aspect of the game? Trainers, strength coaches, etc. Why do they have five? And everybody will tell you that the actual physical aspect of performance is 25%. Why do you have five coaches for 25% of the game and no coaches for 75% of the game, which is the mental approach? And he said, well... I said, I never thought of it that way. I said, well, why don't you do? Because if you do, then you're going to get guys, mental coaches coming in and helping these guys perform. You're going to be ahead of everybody because nobody's doing this, and I'm giving you a chance to get a running start on this whole league, which eventually, because it's a copycat league, eventually they're going to get it. So at any rate, he turned it down like everybody else did, and so why did it take that long? I don't know, but I, I was thinking about that. Yeah, surprise, because Roland seemed to be a guy that would take little bit of risk and chances but he he just was an old baseball traditionalist that said no nah. but it was kind of revolutionary everybody was saying you know if you just swing the bat enough if you just <laughs> have his whole lot of side sessions if you can right. just get this curveball to spin a little bit more they didn't understand that what's sitting between your ears it what is what controls everything and the harnessing of the mental aspect of performance is going to make everybody a little bit better and so I have toyed with the idea eventually of being that guy for some team who is <laughs> forward thinking because a lot of them have sports psychologists, Bobby. But the one thing a sports psychologist, almost without exception, hasn't done 
is standing 60 feet 6 inches away from Hank Aaron and looking in his <laughs> eyes and knowing that he's going to the Hall of Fame, he's an all-time great, but I have to beat him to do my job. How do I four do that? Four or five times a night. <laughs> four or five times a night, and uh, Hank got one hit against me in his lifetime. It was a 3-2 curveball. He hit it off the end of the bat, blooped it down the left field line. It was the only hit he ever got. Oh, my goodness. That pitching staff that you were on, in 1980 with the Orioles, Scotty McGregor wins 20. Again, you win 25. He wins 20. Jim Palmer, Mike Flanagan both win 16. You win 102 or 100 games that year. The Yankees end up winning 103 to to sneak into the American League Championship Series. Uh, talk about what it's like, like the four of you down in the bullpen working. Is there was that that had to be something pretty special. Well, don't forget Dennis Martinez, who went on to win 245 games. Dennis Martinez was one of those guys. He would throw 250 innings a year. He would go 15 and 17. He would go 16 and 15 because he had a great arm but didn't know how to use it quite yet. Mm. But that five-man rotation had five Cy Young Awards. Palmer had three. Flanagan won in 79. I won in 80. We would go north many times. Earl Weaver would go north with nine pitchers. Nine, nine. pitchers. Five starters, four relievers. And the reason they could do that was we got Not everybody out. <laughs> that's why you could nine do that. Star- nine pitchers in your staff. That, yeah. That's just and occasionally, it's hard to put your arms around, obviously, today's game where they're limiting it to 13. Right. Occasionally, they would feel <laughs> extravagant and go with 10. But the Orioles were a different kind of team for the reason is you'd look at their players individually and they weren't as good as Boston. Boston had Butch Hobson hitting ninth at 30 home runs. They had Carlton Fisk, a Hall of Famer, behind the plate. They had Carl Yastrzemski, a Hall of Famer at first base. They had Burleson, they had they had Remy at at short and second. They had a Hall of Famer, Jim Rice in left. They had Freddie Lynn, a wonderful (laughs) center fielder. They had Dewey Evans in right field. We weren't even close to that. However, put head-to-head the whole of the Orioles was better than the sum of its parts. And that's the way you win. You win with a team effort, everybody pulling in the same direction. But you have to understand, and this was a philosophy in Baltimore. It was espoused to me by two different guys when I got there in the first month. And they said, we don't score early and we don't score often. But hold us close and you win more games than you ever dreamt. And the, th- and the reason was, said, if you hold us close... That other team is going to make a mistake before we do, and when they make that mistake, we're going to bury them with it. And that was a team of guys that knew on a day-to-day basis they were going to beat that other team. They thought about it from the first inning to the ninth inning. They waited for that mistake, and when they got their mistake, it was lights out for the other team. Earl Weaver, the best skipper you uh, had the privilege to play for? He was the most interesting. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, he was uh, He was one of those guys that uh, that – I think he understood how to win in baseball. I think he understood percentages before there was analytics. He refute. He would rather give you a child than give you an out. He didn't want to bunt. <laughs> he wanted to. He wanted to hit a three-run homer. He thought, you know, he didn't want to steal very much. He just giving an out was just to him it was ridiculous. He always had three by five cards matchups. I mean, he was one of the first managers wow. that ever did that. He had him in his back pocket. He'd take him out, and so you know, it was good and it was bad. I remember Jim Palmer saying to him when he came out to talk to him, he goes, the only thing you know about pitching is you couldn't hit it, so get back in the dugout. So was Earl the best? Earl was the most successful, was a Hall of Fame manager. Um, Earl understood that each guy had a different key. They weren't 
one size fits all. So one guy he would boot in the butt, the other guy he would put his arm around. He loved Lee May. He would never say a crossword to Lee May. He screamed at me something <laughs> you couldn't believe it because I got there. I was their first free agent. Uh, they had never dipped in the free agent market before. And so he never let me finish a game, which drove me kind of crazy. He kept taking me out. One day he took me out. I didn't wait for him to get to the mound. I come walking off the mound. I flip him the baseball, hits him in the chest, <laughs> and then I go walking into the dugout. Anyway, the next day we have this knockdown, knockdown, drag out fight. But, um, you know, he, he did whatever he could to get the best out of the individual player. And more times than not, he was right. This was real fun. Wish we had more time, Steve. Thank you so much. Bobby, always a pleasure, and I'm glad uh, I'm glad you're getting into my business. It's nice It's nice to see a longtime front office guy getting into the, the radio biz. Enjoy doing it, I'll tell you that, connecting with all the people that come through the ballpark. Here's hoping you enjoyed today's visit with Steve Stone. We look forward to sharing at the ballpark stories on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. That's Guardian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio, and that will do it for our show this week. Just a reminder, no baseball today from New York as the Guardians and the Mets were postponed due to rain. A lot of baseball tomorrow, including a 140 ball game in the afternoon as the makeup for today's rain out, in addition to the 7-10 first pitch tomorrow night. As always, thanks to Brian Motze for helping to put together our show. This is Jim Rosenhouse. And we'll look forward to talking to you next week from Progressive Field on another edition of Guardians Weekly. Guardians Weekly has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance.